Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in beautiful Woodbridge, Virginia. It is the second Sunday of Easter, one week removed from the empty tomb here at our church. It is a privilege and a joy to be worshiping with you through this strange time uh, with the pandemic and COVID-19. I'm grateful that uh, this church has the ability to continue to worship even uh, through devices like uh, the one that you're watching on right now, whether you're with us on Facebook Live or watching on YouTube later. Uh, this has been a time of adjustment for a lot of people, figuring out what it means to continue to be a community of faith, a people that gather together who cannot gather together right now. Uh, but I am grateful to be gathering with you in this wonderful and strange and wild way. I want to start uh, this morning by telling you a story. For those of you who know me, you're going to be so surprised to hear that. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. In fact, I tell it almost once a year in worship at this church, and I've done it almost once a year, every year I've been a pastor. There once was a young pastor who had just graduated from seminary. He was young, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed, and he was being sent to serve a church in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. He was very excited, though, very, very excited, so he had packed all his bags, moved into the parsonage, and was so excited, so eager for his first Sunday that he couldn't help himself. He got in his car and he drove to the address where the church was listed. And he drove down this old dirt road and he was driving and driving and his GPS said, you are arriving at your destination, but he didn't see a church anywhere. So he drove a little bit further, did a U-turn, drove back. And again, the GPS said, you are arriving at your destination. And he looked and he saw the church and he realized why he missed it the first time. Uh, this was John Wesley United Methodist Church, and he was driving by, and he saw that there was this giant old gnarled tree that was right by the sign and the side of the church building. And it was so big and so overgrown that you really couldn't see the church from the road. He was really disappointed because he kept thinking, gosh, you know, I just, I really want people to be able to know that this is the church I'm serving, that this is where the Word of God is going to be preached and the sacraments duly administered. So got an idea. He drove back to the parsonage and he went looking through all of his tools until he found his chainsaw. He drove straight back to the church. He fired up the chainsaw and with quick work, he took down that tree, cut it up into nice little pieces, made a stack of firewood. And he thought to himself as he looked up at this beautiful church building, you know what, maybe we're going to have a few extra people in church on Sunday. Maybe people who've been driving down this road their whole lives for the first time are going to see that we have a church right here and he was very, very proud of himself. A few days later, he's at the parsonage. He's working on that very first sermon he's going to preach on his very first Sunday when he gets a phone call. It's his district superintendent, and he answers it, and he says, hey, what's going on? And the district superintendent says, have you finished unpacking? He says, oh, I still have a, a few boxes left. And he says, well, I want you to go ahead and put all of your things back in your boxes because you're being reappointed to a new church. He said, what are you talking about? I haven't even... I even had, had a choice, a chance to preach my first sermon. I haven't even met the people yet. How, what do you mean I'm getting sent to another church? He said, son, did you cut down a tree? He said, oh, yeah, you'd be proud. You, you, you can you really see the church building for the first time. He said, well, what you don't understand, son, is there's a reason that church is called John Wesley United Methodist Church. Many, 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 many years ago, when John Wesley came from England and was in the colony of Georgia, he stood on the roots of that tree and he preached to the people in that town in Georgia. They built their church right there next to that tree because John Wesley stood on those roots and preached, and you just cut down 
their sacred tree. So say goodbye because you're being sent to another church. I love that story. I think it is just so good. It's a very Methodist story. So if you're not really familiar with the sort of politics of United Methodism about being reappointed and having district superintendents, it, it maybe doesn't resonate as much. But if you're Methodist, ooh, that story, it hits home. You got Wesley in it. You got something that means a lot to some people and means nothing to others. You get a young, foolish pastor making a really, really big mistake. I love telling that story because it's instructive for us about what it is we want to tear down, what it is we want to leave behind, and what is sacred and what is good and true and faithful. This time of the pandemic has forced a lot of us to, frankly, chop down some sacred trees. Uh, for a number of you that are watching, this is probably the longest you've ever gone without being in church on a Sunday morning. And so yet, strangely enough, for some of you, you've probably gotten more doses of church in the last four weeks than you've ever had before because every time you get on Facebook or on Twitter or on YouTube, you're seeing people like me flood your news feeds with worship. But we've had to abandon certain things, cut down certain things that we used to think were sacred because things are different now. We're starting to see what we took for granted, being able to gather in a room like this with people week after week, something we can't do anymore. Sometimes Trees do need to be chopped down. There are things we need to leave behind and let go of so that we can embrace what's ahead of us. But at the same time, we can't just ignore who we are and who we were. We can't throw our past away. It is who we are, which is just another way of saying we are the stories that we tell. So I'm grateful that you're here with us this morning, that you're worshiping with us through the internet here at Cooksbury United Methodist Church. I pray, I pray that you hear something today that is truly good. I also want to begin by sharing a few announcements. The first is that if you uh, prefer to follow along with a bulletin, we have it available on our church website. The link for that bulletin is in the video description. Uh, so you can pull it up. It has our prayers, our scripture, uh, the hymn, uh, all those sorts of things. If that is helpful for you or instructive for you to follow along, or you can uh, look at it after the fact, but it's available to you if you would prefer to follow along with it. As you're able, would you all please uh, join me for a word of prayer? Lord, who in the Passion Mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I want to share with you a few more announcements about the comings and the goings at our church, or at least here, what it's like to worship in the state of Virginia. In keeping with uh, Bishop Sharma Lewis and Governor Ralph Northam's recent addresses, we will not be gathering in person uh, for in-person worship as long as the stay-at-home order is in place, which as of today means we will not be gathering together till at least June the 10th, uh, which is quite a long ways from now. So keep tuning in week after week. Uh, use our church Facebook page and our church website to find resources about how to stay connected with our community of faith, how to stay connected with the word in a time where we cannot be together. Uh, the cases of COVID-19 continue to uh, rise, not just in our local community, but also in our state, 
across our country and across the world. We have our first uh, confirmed case of COVID-19 with a member of our community of faith, uh, of course, but uh, they contracted it long after we stopped canceling worship. So there's no uh, need to worry about having been exposed here at our church. And this person was in the hospital, but is now at home uh, to recover. And this is a very, very good thing, but it's also a very, very serious thing. So as much as you're able, please maintain excellent hygiene, wear masks and gloves if you have them available when you leave your home to go to the grocery store or any other essential trips that you need to make, uh, and keep each other in prayer. Reach out to people you know who might be the most vulnerable, uh, for it seems as if things are still going to get worse before they get better. We've been sending out regular emails from our church uh, every week about ways that you can continue to participate in things like worship, online Bible studies, devotionals, prayers, all that sort of stuff. If you want more information, you can send an email to our church. It's cokesburyumc at gmail.com. Uh, we can make sure that some of that and most of that information is being available to you. Uh, with that, I'd like us to join together in prayer once again. Lord, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin. You put death to death. You gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all of our days by this, your victory. Forgive us our sins. Banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And give us the strength to face each day with the knowledge that the story of Jesus has turned the world upside down, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. Now, Lord, each of us will pray to you, lifting up our own joys and concerns this day, whether silently or aloud, wherever we find ourselves, those things that we are concerned about and those things that have brought us joy. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Acts of the Apostles in the second chapter, verse 14a and 22 through 32. Now hear the word of the Lord. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed them, You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with deeds of power and wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law 
but God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or yet let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I must say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him that he would be that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all of that, we are witnesses. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I am a Methodist, which means I don't know how to worship without singing, but I am a preacher, not a singer, so please bear with me as I sing this hymn for us today. This is number 156 in our hymnal. This is I Love to Tell the Story. If you'd like to sing along, the words are available on the online bulletin, uh, but perhaps some of you know these words. So this is I Love to Tell the Story. <clears throat> I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story, it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it, more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. 
I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story Will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Amen. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think one of the many reasons that some of us enjoy reading the Bible, and in particular the Gospels, is that we just like a good story. There's something so captivating about the way Jesus enters Jerusalem, or how he was able to reel in the crowds with his parables, or the way he fed those 5,000 by the sea. Now, that's not to say that every book and every passage in the Bible is quite so captivating. There are gaggles of genealogies with their relentless so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. There's lots of laws that read as fun as watching paint dry. And there are poems that pontificate on and on and on and on. But the stories, the stories are pretty good. Stories, whether they're in the Bible or not, they are remarkably powerful things. In fact, the very first words I ever said in a sermon here at Cooksbury on my very first Sunday were these words. We are the stories we tell. Stories are how we understand what's happening in the world around us. Stories are how we teach the young lessons about who they are and how they are to behave. Stories are everywhere, and they are who we are. Here's an example, and I stole this one from Jesus. There's a dad. He's got two sons. He's done pretty well for himself and his boys, but one day the younger son says, Dad, drop dead. I want my inheritance right now. And the father inexplicably gives it to him. The kid leaves town. He blows all of the money at the local casino. He finds himself face down in a dumpster after drowning his debt-filled sorrows at the bottom of a bottle. He comes to his senses there in his inebriated state, and he decides to go home where, at the very least, he could work for his dad and be in better shape than he is in the trash can. 
And just before he gets to the front door of his father's house, his father tackles him to the ground, smothers him with kisses, and makes declarations about the party they're going to have. The younger son doesn't even get a chance to apologize before the keg is tapped and the music starts bumping. And then we've got the older brother, the older brother who stayed home this whole time. He's outside. He's mowing his dad's lawn. And even over the sound of the lawnmower, he hears music coming from the house. So he stops, he goes over, and he looks in the window. And lo and behold, it's his good-for-nothing little brother back from the dead. And this older brother will have no part of the celebration. But the father goes outside. He grabs his older son by the collar of his shirt, and he says, Hey, you fool! Would you just get over yourself and come inside and have fun with us? Your baby bro was dead, but now he is alive. It's time to party. The end. And that's, that's one hell of a story. It tells us something about God. And we can immediately identify with a character in the story. Those are the best stories. You know, because there are moments in our lives where we will feel like the father, waiting for a wayward child to get back on the right path, or... There will be times where we feel like the younger son, knowing we've made mistakes and are trying to figure out what to do next. Or there will be times when we feel like the older brother, frustrated that someone is getting something for nothing. And in the end, the story tells us the best news of all, that God is throwing a party for us and that God is willing to drop dead to make it happen. Stories have power power that can unlock our imaginations in ways previously unimaginable, stories that can completely upend and deconstruct our notions of the world. Stories can build us up and they can tear us down. Stories can make us laugh and think and cry and everything in between. Stories are powerful things. But speeches, and in particular sermons, they are another thing entirely. So full disclosure, what I'm trying to say is I am grateful that anyone ever listens to the proclamations that come out of my mouth on a weekly basis. And now, while we are in the throes of social distancing and stay-at-home orders, my gratitude for those who listen is even greater. And to make it even worse, I am forced to listen to my own voice week after week as I post these services online. So I appreciate it all the more that people actually listen to what I say. And yet I know and I recognize that the conventional sitting back and listening to someone wax lyrical for 15 minutes is no one's definition of a good time. Think about it this way. The average television sitcom is 22 minutes long in total with commercial breaks interspersed. And even in the midst of something highly produced, designed to keep and maintain our attention, people like you and me, we are tempted to pull out our phones and check Facebook or Twitter or all sorts of things at least three times in the midst of an episode. When we're all together in worship on Sunday morning, remember when we used to get together for church on Sunday morning? Most people are kind enough not to check their phones in the middle of a sermon, unless, of course, they're tweeting about how it's the best sermon they've ever heard from someone like me, or they're just really good at hiding it. But now, now all of you can listen to me for two minutes 
And then you can open up a new tab and you can check on the weather for the rest of the afternoon, which by the way, it's supposed to be pretty gorgeous here in Woodbridge. Or you can browse around on Amazon or weirdly enough, you can pull up another video of another pastor doing roughly the same thing I'm doing right now. So this is the moment that you need to spam that share button. Everyone that's watching, whether you're watching it now or later, I want to fill up every news feed on every person on social media so they have to listen to my voice. And I'm going to try to crowd out every other pastor that's out there on a Sunday morning. I'm only kidding, but kind of not. Because here, one week removed from Easter, on this close side to the resurrection, Jesus has defeated death, we are launched into the so-called Acts of the Apostles. It sounds pretty good, right? I mean, we'd love to hear about what the Apostles did in the wake of the good news, turning the world upside down. We'd love to catch a glimpse of the beginnings of this thing we call the church. We'd rejoice in knowing what it was like in those earliest gatherings that would eventually lead to our hearts being set on fire. In short, we'd like to hear a good story. But Acts, named even as it is, it contains roughly 30 sermons, which account for almost a third of the entire book. And surely Luke, the writer, was smart enough to know that what we really need is a narrative, a beginning, a middle, and end, some drama, and some stakes, and some story. I mean, do we really need more preaching, more pontificating? But alas, we're stuck with the Bible, the strange new world of the Bible. We didn't get to hear it in the reading for today, but before Peter speaks, before he ascends to this great pulpit of public proclamation, the crowds have accused him and his cronies of being drunk very early in the morning. That tells us something about the condition of their condition. It is the day of Pentecost, after all. The Spirit has descended upon them with a great rush of wind and flames of fire flashing forth and they can now speak in a multitude of languages. They probably sound like they're slurring their words. But I like to imagine the scene with just a little more flair. Just picture in your mind the very best wedding reception you've ever been to. You know, that happy couple is out there dancing like crazy in the middle of the dance floor. A band is up on the bandstand, and they just keep playing great song after great song that keep people grooving. Your crazy uncle is over in the corner struggling to stay vertical on his third too many scotches. There's a gaggle of young cousins that are sneaking extra pieces of cake when the rest of the adults are too busy dancing and too busy drinking to notice. So imagine that in your minds for a moment. Can you feel the joy? That feeling as if nothing else in the world matters outside of that celebration. Because that's how I imagine the disciples in this scene. I see them stumbling out of the upper room, drunk on the good news that is setting them off on an adventure that they can scarcely imagine. But when the crowd see them, they see a bunch of good-for-nothing drunks stumbling around in the early morning streets. And they are accused as such, and that serves as the perfect cue for Peter to stand up and start preaching. His sermon, if we want to call it that, it tells a story. Not just a story, but the story. Jesus lived, he was crucified, and he lives again. 
Peter then takes that story and interprets the gospel in the midst of those people on that day. That, in a sense, is what every sermon is supposed to do. Sermons take scriptures, weave them together with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then speak them toward and on behalf of a people in need of some good news. Now, we don't often think about it this way. Sermons can really upend us even more than some of the best stories. They can cut to our hearts in ways that stories can't because sermons, at their best, are God's proclamations to us. Good sermons, rare that they are, are more than what is said and to whom it is said. The way that it's said can make all the difference. Peter jumps right to the point. Hey, y'all listen to what me I've got to say because I've got something important to say. Jesus, the Lord, you know, the guy who did a bunch of incredible things like feeding the hungry and healing the sick and breaking the Sabbath and walking in water. You all handed him over to death. You crucified him. You nailed him to a cross. But God raised him up. Let him loose on the world again because the tomb could not contain him. Look, we all know that David was great. He was a king, he was a prophet, all that stuff. But when he died, they buried his bones in the ground and he's still stuck down there. But Jesus, he was raised for you. And we're all witnesses. I mean, that's a sermon. The way we, the church today, we hear this proclamation, it's that a fulfillment, that it is a fulfillment of a promise that the God of creation has been with us through thick and thin and will remain with us even to the end. Now the end has no end because of Jesus. How do the crowds hear it? They hear it as disruptive inebriation and scandalous preaching. The sermon from Peter, it draws a web that can only be seen on this side of the resurrection. It connects dots that have been there all along. The empty tomb, the resurrection of the Lord, it becomes the lens by which Peter and every subsequent disciple begins to see the story that we call the gospel. The linking of time and space with Scripture is, in a sense, all that a sermon is ever supposed to do. But what exactly makes what Peter has to say so scandalous? Why are the crowds perplexed by the scene unfolding before them? What makes preaching, then and now, so powerful and so profound. And when just about every other part of our lives, from our jobs to our spouses to our children to even the ways we try to portray our perfect versions of ourselves on social media, it's all transactional. If I do this, what can I get out of it? If I give you something, what will you give me in return? If I post this picture, what will people think about me? And yet here, in a sermon, on the other side of Easter, Peter presents the gospel without cost. It's a gift. The gift of Jesus, the crucified and the risen Lord. It's free. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free. And that is wildly irreligious and wildly scandalous. When everything in our lives come at a cost, the fact that Christ brings new life for free, it is a staggering thing. Peter preaches 
Strangely enough to so many of our Christian ears today, without exhortation, there's no to-do list at the end of the sermon. There are no 10 ways to apply the scripture to your daily life. There's no how to be the best version of yourself right now. It's just grace. It's just a story. It's a story about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you and for me, for us, in spite of us. Anything other than that way of preaching is unqualified bad news. When the church actually proclaims the good news of Jesus, of him crucified and resurrected, we will cease to be some bureaucracy selling spiritual snake oil, and instead we will be a party. Perhaps a wedding party, tumbling out of a venue trying to wake everyone up we can find to the fact that there's a party going on. When Peter preaches to the crowds that day, it's like he's telling them, it doesn't matter whether you're the younger son who threw his life away or you're the older son who's disappointed with the life you settled for. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Easter started a party that will never, ever stop. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. So come in and have some fun. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, in the mystery of dying and rising with Christ, you have upended the world. You have brought life, new life, to your church, life that looks like a party. Breathe upon us again with your spirit and give new life to your people. Be with those of us who are not able to be with our families and our friends this day. Be with those among us who are suffering, who are weak, tired, alone, poor, or hungry. Give all of us the strength and the wisdom to be the kind of people you've called us to be. And give us hope Hope to rejoice knowing that death has been defeated forever and ever in you. And all God's people say, Amen. Typically when we gather for worship together in person, it's at this point in the service that we uh, call the ushers forth to receive the gifts of God's people. Uh, knowing that this is a time that we can't actually do that in person, I'd just like to encourage you to give to God uh, through the church as much as you're able to, especially in this time, uh, to help those in need in our community, help keep the ministries of this church uh, functioning and as flourishing as is possible. If you would like to send your offering in the mail to us here at the church, you can do that. We also have a, a drop slot by our main office entrance where you can leave it if you're here in person, or you can give us uh, your donation, your giving, your offering online. Uh, the link for it is in this video description, and it's also available on our church website. But we also respond to what God has said to us today. And one of the ways we like to do it is with the uh, affirmation of our faith using the Apostles' Creed. If you know it, feel free to join in. If you don't, it's available in the online bulletin so we can affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Continue to think about ways we can respond to what God has said. One of the things we do uh, at my home, with my family, we have this habit in our house of expressing that for which we're grateful for uh, whenever we sit together at the dinner table. We will usually say a prayer, often led by our son Elijah, and then we will take time to go around and share either something about our day, uh, something in general that we want to thank God for. With every passing week that we can't be together in person in this place, I've been mindful of just how much I miss the little things of the church. I miss the conversations between the pews, the uh, glances across the narthex at each other, the hearing certain people who always sing out of key, the uh, fumbling around to say the right words every week. I just miss the things that I often took for granted. But this time apart has also given me the opportunity to reflect on what it is I love about this church, this particular church and every church that has shaped me into who I am. It's made me think about why I love being a Christian, why I love being a pastor, and why I love doing this work we call church. So this week, knowing that it won't earn us anything in the way of salvation, it won't earn us anything in the way of praise from the Lord, I encourage you to write down something you love about the church. Perhaps you're someone who calls this church your home or uh, your church is on the other side of the country. It doesn't matter. Just put down a few thoughts about what you love about your church. You can just put it down on a piece of paper on a simple list and you can put it up on your refrigerator so you can remind yourself day after day. Or you can write down and send it in an email to me or you can type it in the comment section of the video or you can post it on social media. This is certainly a time during which we can not only reflect on what we love, but we can also share what we love with other people. I'm going to go first. This is what I love about the church, and I'm going to post this on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff later. I love my church because it is a regular reminder for me that God's grace is always greater than my sin. It's a reminder whether it's through the hymns we sing together, the bread and the cup that we offer each other, or the grace that is given to me through people like you. This church, every church I've been a part of, it has been the difference that has made all the difference in the world for me. I love the church because it's where I hear the voice of Jesus. So I'd like to now offer you this blessing and benediction as you go forth, wherever you are and whoever you are, hear these words. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life, the God of death, and the God of resurrection, may that Lord help you to see and know and believe that the best news of all is that the Lord has prepared a party for us, that the Lord was willing to die to make sure that it happened, and it can never be taken away. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.
I miss church, friends. I miss being together in person. I miss seeing all of your shining, beautiful, and wonderful faces. And until we're back again together in this place, I'm going to keep doing this week after week, hoping against hope that you hear something good. Go in peace.